This is a recording of Labour and Anti-Semitism at Ideas for Freedom 2019 with Martin Thomas. This session is Labour and Anti-Semitism. It was organised as a debate with Ken Livingstone, but he withdrew at the last minute. Um, so we will give uh, workers' liberties view, but if there are other views from the floor that people want to express, we can give you extra time in order that we can balance the debate up. So our speaker today is Martin Thomas, who's going to lead off for about 25 minutes and is going to try and stay next to the microphone. Um, And then we'll move to the floor. Okay, I want to apologise for Sean McMahuna, who is due to speak and is uh, not well enough to speak. Um, I'm not going to apologise for Ken Livingston. Because after all, when Sean was unable to no, we got somebody else to speak. If I had been run over by a bus on the way here, somebody would take my place. Um, but we had the debate organised with Ken Livingstone since uh, January. You know, repeatedly confirmed, is the date okay? Is the time okay? He phones up a couple of weeks before and says, oh, I have a family event that weekend. Okay, I said, well, maybe we can change the time in the weekend. No, no, whole weekend, it's out. Um, so maybe we could do it on the Friday evening. No, I can't do Friday evenings. Well, maybe we could do a debate, not this weekend, but at some other time in the year. Workers' Liberty holds forums every month. Uh, we could have a debate one of those Friday evening meetings. No, I can never do Fridays. Well, we could do a debate on another evening. No, I can't do any meetings. So you think, well, um, enjoy your own conclusions. I, since then, I have, since that, that's the last couple of weeks, I've approached, I think, seven other people who are prominent in that section of the Labour Party, uh, which Ken Livingstone is associated with, the section that says, really, there isn't a problem of anti-Semitism, the only problem is people making false accusations. And all seven have said no. Some politely, oh, I'm sorry, I'm away that weekend. Some not politely at all. But they've all said no. And I will come back, le- I will come back later on the significance of that. Okay. First, there is a problem. So Pete Wellsman, who's the Secretary of the Campaign for Labour Party Democracy, has recently been suspended from the Labour Party for remarks he made to a journalist, in which uh, he uh, uh, plays down, talks down, the question of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Now, he's done this before. I talked to him face-to-face after that. I said, look, Pete, what you said was nonsense. You know there's a problem. He says, yes, I have seen it on the, the National Executive. I've seen some terrible things. All I meant was I've never seen open anti-Semitism in a meeting. Which may be true, because a lot of this stuff now is on social media. And there's no question that the rise of social media as a form of communication has facilitated um, the uh, open expression of anti-Semitism as the open expression of lots of other prejudices. But by the admission of the guy who is known publicly for saying there's not so much of a problem, there really is a problem. 
The second thing I'll say is some people say, oh, well, there's a lot of that, but really um, it's not so much of a problem because uh, the Jewish population of a country like Britain is, on the whole, mostly not in the poorest part of the population. Normally they're, um, you know, uh, they've got relatively good jobs. People don't get excluded from their jobs for being Jewish. They don't get refused, uh, uh, turned down for buying a house because they're Jewish. Really, this is all very secondary stuff. And um, the short answer to that is that whatever the effects in that respect, this sort of prejudice poisons the left for the reason that anti-Semitism is somewhat different from other forms of prejudice and bigotry in that it takes the form of a false anti-capitalism, of a substitute anti-capitalism, that being anti-Semitic against the Jews as the bankers, against Israel as the epitome of imperialism, is a substitute form of leftism. And that poisons the left, whatever the effects of, on the the Jewish population in Britain. The second thing is that being subject to insults and prejudice doesn't cease to be uh, harmful and something we're opposed to as socialists, even if it's directed against people who are not very poor. I should have, the German Jewish population was, you know, a lot of the German Jewish population was relatively well off. Um, as I mentioned recently in the paper, when Theodore Adorno, who's a famous Marxist academic, he arrives in the USA fleeing from Nazi Germany, and um, he says, the day-to-day the -day anti-Semitism I experience in the USA is worse than what I experienced in Germany before 1933. Before 1933. Um, uh, then if you look, for example, at the position of the Jewish communities in the Arab world, say the Jewish community in Iraq, before it was driven out, was um, in its average level of income, higher than the population of Iraq. That didn't save them from being driven out. That didn't make that driving out anything other than an atrocity from the point of view of socialist politics. So, there is a problem, and it's a it's a very serious problem for the left. Okay, right, let's look more at the form of the problem. A lot of the uh, prejudices we've seen voiced, and you know, there are dossiers about this, I'm sure comrades will give us examples from the fore. A lot of it is very old-fashioned anti-Semitism. Um, Mostly not the very oldest form of anti-Semitism. Um, it's not uh, the, the Jews kill Christ sort of anti-Semitism, but it's old anti-Semitism. It's anti-Semitism of the sort that was around 100 years ago. Um, there is some of it which is a form of anti-Semitism which we in Workers' Liberty have been calling out now for 30 years which is the anti-Semitism which says, and in some cases sincerely believes, it's not anti-Semitic at all. 
we have nothing against Jews, we just hate Zionists. And Zionism is just a political opinion. It's perfectly okay to hate a political opinion. Um, so, what do you mean? Um, this is not at all anti-Semitic. I will come back later to analyse that form of anti-Semitism. I would point out that what one of the things that's happening in the Labour Party now is that that form of anti-Semitism is acting as a sort of defence squad for the older form of anti-Semitism. And the way it acts as a defence squad is people is through people who say, look, okay, there are people who say bad things. However, the big problem we have is Israel, Zionism, which are more or less equated with imperialism, and really what is happening, the dominant thing you've got to keep your eye on, is that the Israeli embassy is setting people up to complain about anti-Semitism. And that's all we're going to fight. If some real complaints got lost in the shuffle, that is secondary. And that in itself, if you think about it as a form of anti-Semitism, it's one of the classical forms of anti-Semitism where you think that a... Uh, where, as before, you thought a minority of Jews, you know, maybe 3% or 2% in various European countries were really running both capitalism and Bolshevism. Now you think Israel, with a population of 9 million, is running a world of 7 billion. <coughs> right. Uh, so, uh, it's my contention that uh, the old anti-Semitism has been able to revive with this sort of defence guard of um, the newer anti-Semitism. <coughs> Why has it become a big issue in the Labour Party now? Uh, now, it's not because it didn't exist before. It didn't, uh, no. It's not at all that it didn't exist before. Why it's become a big issue, I think, is that with the Corbyn surge, you have a whole a layer of people who were trained politically in the 70s and the 80s, um, which is a time when um, anti-Israel agitation and very explicit arguments that Israel needs to be destroyed, that Israel needs to be smashed, are argued with some vehemence on the left. And you have people who were formed in that period. You know, they spent their teenage years or their early 20s in that culture. Um, in a lot of cases, they've been largely out of action for decades. And now, with the Corbyn surge, they're back in action. They're in the Labour Party. Um, and being out of political action for 20 or 30 years, on the whole, is not good for your political health. If you were very left-wing before, you're probably less left-wing now. You're a bit more wander. So a lot of these people, they think of themselves as left-wing, but they're not that left-wing. But the one thing they remember about being left-wing is that they hate Israel. Um, and this is, this is not just at the rank, this is at the top of the Labour Party. So if you look at, and I think some of the people in the, the leader's office are part of that category. People who, who maybe they were active in the Stop the War movement at a certain period, but not very much else. But now they're in political party activity. Um, and in one way, what you could do 
sum up our task as is to organise and mobilise and educate the younger members and you know, obviously the, uh, the more receptive of the older members to push that back. It's a generational problem in some parts. Right, it's, um, however, things have changed since the 1980s. As I say, um, in the 1980s, we've recently reprinted uh, the debate that we ran in the 1980s. And one of the striking things, you can read it, it's on the bookstore, one of the striking things about here is our opponents are perfectly clear what their programme is, is to destroy Israel. There's no beating around the bush. Um, and it's relatively rare to come across people arguing this explicitly now. So uh, there was recently a, a fairly big, um, well, big comparatively, uh, demonstration of the Palestinian Solidarity Campaign in London, the 11th of May. Um, some of us from Workers' Liberty went along with our banners and our placards saying, uh, with our program of two states in Israel and Palestine, and we had quite a lot of arguments. Uh, you know, uh, genuine discussions mostly. There are a lot of people who just wouldn't talk to us, but, you know, there were quite a few people who would talk to us. I didn't have anybody saying spelling it out, what we want to do is destroy Israel. Um, and um, the other thing I didn't hear, which was the positive counterpart of that, which again, um, if you read this, it's argued um, with some confidence that the alternative is a single secular democratic state in all of the British Mandate Palestine, in all of the um, area defined by the British Empire as Palestine um, after 1917. Uh, it's quite rare to hear that now. Um, not on the whole because a different programme has been substituted, uh, but because the argument generally proceeds now without the benefit of a positive programme. And I'll explain how that happens. Why does that positive pro why is that positive programme faded? Well, I think if you just read the words, it's fairly clear. If your programme is a secular democratic state, um, it, you cannot see Hamas as a vehicle for it. You know, whatever you say about you know, Hamas does not claim to be secular. Absolutely not, yeah? Um, uh, it's, um, it was quite hard to see the secular democratic state as democratic back then, but um, if you look at what's happened in Syria since 2011, it's very hard to think that a military triumph for the Assad regime over Israel would result in anything you could call democracy. So, um, I think uh, the, the formula has fallen away, not because a better one has been found, but because um, the people who would want to advocate it have a lot less confidence in it, and so what they do is they fall back to negative formulas. Um, so, for example, 
on this demonstration, I discussed with a number of people, said, look, one state, two states, three states, I, I don't know. That's for people on the ground to sort out. I'm just here to take a stand against racism. Um, and you, you have uh, not so much on the demonstration, but for example, in a periodical like the Morning Star, you have a position which says, well, yes, actually, we are for the right to self-determination of both the Israeli Jews and the Palestinians. We are for two states, but on certain conditions. And these are certain conditions which turn out that any time in the foreseeable future, Israel is not likely to match up to. And there are conditions which are always applied to the Israeli half of that two-state condition. You know, the two-state the conditions put are not the Palestinian state has to be have a really good policy on this or a really good policy on that. The Israeli state has to have a really good policy. Therefore, well, sorry folks, you just have to back Hamas, Hezbollah or whoever it, uh, whoever it is. Okay. Um, so, uh, what's happened is essentially the same programmatic position has been transformed in re- cycle as a negative position. Why do I say that this position is anti-Semitic? Why do I think that the argument I cited earlier, which is, well, Zionism is just a political current, and, you know, you can be opposed to Zionists as you're opposed to Tories or, um, you know, uh, nationalists of any other sort, and that's not anti-Semitic. Why do I say that? Because what's special here First is that the term Zionism is a portmanteau term. It's a portmanteau term which is used to encompass both the supporters of the current Israeli government, of the Israeli right, and anybody, essentially anybody, who supports the right of the Israeli Jewish nation to self-determination, supports the right of Israel to exist. And what that means is, firstly, that an entire nation is defined as not worthy of existence, not worthy of having its own state, of uh, requiring to be conquered. And secondly, that all those across the world who identify to some degree or another um, with that state, and this doesn't mean, in fact, usually doesn't mean supporting... Uh, everything or even many things that its government does but just uh, feeling I'm Jewish this is the only Jewish state in the world or I have family there or I have friends there um, any of that sort of identification is classified as tantamount to racism and that gives you a comprehensive hostility to the vast majority of Jews alive in the world today and it cannot do otherwise, because there's no amount of explanation which is going to undo that reflex identification. Um, it, you know, maybe generations into the socialist future, nobody will care whether you're Jewish or not. Do you, know, be, do you have red hair or do you have black hair? Nobody cares. 
That's generations into the future. What it means is singling out a bad people. Okay. So, um, how is this reprocessed as anti-racism? Um, I think you can find this quite well expressed um, in the keynote political speech given recently to a group called Jewish Voice for Labour. Um, I wrote an article about this in the last but one issue of Solidarity. So Graham Bash, again, he's one of the people I um, invited to come and debate with us. He says, I'm also often asked, do I want to destroy Israel? And he says, my answer is no, provided that. And then he gives the provided that. Don't you think about no provided means yes unless. You know, <laughs> are you going to hit me in the face? No, provided that you do X, Y, Z, which means yes, you're going to get a smack in the gob. Um, what's the provided that? The provided that is basically that Israel should change its immigration policy. Okay. Now, suppose Israel has the worst immigration policy in the world. That's a pretty high bar to jump, mind you, having the worst in the world. But still, why, why do you want a, 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 a state, which is a, you know, a state based on a nation, why do you want, in fact, therefore, a nation to be suppressed because it's got a bad immigration policy? Rather than, you know, state governments have bad policies, you know, the British government... We're here mostly to combat the British government's policies. Um, it's never crossed our minds to say, well, look, the answer to all this is the French government should come over the, the channel, disperse all the British, and that will, that will get rid of all these bad policies. Um, why, um, so that's the first question. The second question is, well, are the immigration policies actually uniquely, uniquely bad? And um, what Graham says, firstly, he says he wants the, um, what the um, official Israeli uh, doctrine calls the law of returns. That is the law which allows Jews across the world uh, to migrate, if they wish to, to Israel. Uh, which is you know, one of the first laws passed by the uh, Israeli state after it wins independence. And um, now, it's quite a common thing now to find this quoted on the left as an abomination. I looked back recently at um, the comprehensive document, the only one really, produced by the Trotskyist movement on Israel at the time. There's a document produced by the Internet, the Independent Socialist League of the US in 1951. You can find it on the web. Um, they were really the only Trotskyist group in the world writing at some length about Israel and Palestine at the time. They say nothing about the law of return at all. There was no controversy about it in Israel. There was controversy about lots of things in Israel. No controversy about it at the time. Why? Because why, why they fought the war of independence? Basically so that they would have a state where the, the, the um, survivors of the Holocaust could migrate to where the survivors were being kept in displaced person camps, often old concentration camps in Europe, or being kept in camps by the British in Cyprus. They were picked up on the sea. They were held in camps in Cyprus. Um, 
One of the pictures on the cover of this is a cartoon from the Trotskyist press at the time about those camps in Cyprus. They didn't think the British were doing a good job stopping the Zionists. They thought it was a scandal that Jews after the Holocaust were being put in camps by the British Empire. So then the first concern was these people in the camps in Cyprus, these people in, in Europe should be able to come here. The next concern was that the Jews from uh, the Middle East, from the Arab world, the other great uh, pool of Jewish people in the world, should be able to come. And, in fact, persecution and driving out of Jews in the Arab world had already started before the 1948 war. It's sometimes presented, well, what do you expect? Of course that was going to happen after the It starts before then. And um, it reaches a peak, a peak afterwards, and by the 70s, the Arab world, which had large, you know, by a world scale, large Jewish communities, has been made more Jew-free than the Nazis managed in Germany. The, the Jewish population has been reduced to a smaller percentage than the Nazis managed in Germany. Not by the same methods, but not by the same methods, but Jewish communities which had lived there for thousands of years were driven out. Um, and, you know, and now there was a place where they could go to. Um, a lot of them lived in refugee camps for a while in Israel. A lot of them lived in great poverty, but you know, after a while they were integrated and they had a place to go to. And so, now, you can, is that wrong or is it right? Firstly, on the whole, I think it's right. Um, I, you know, if I had been in the Israeli parliament, I would not have voted against the law of return. Secondly, even if I had, is it conceivable that anybody else would? If they had wanted to vote that down, they wouldn't have set up the state in the first place. If they had wanted not to do that, they would all have said, well, look, we'll just take our chances on this. If the British want to put us in camps, that's all right. We will wait. Maybe they will find somewhere for us to go. And they weren't willing to do that. So, the only way, some, firstly, the only way you're going to suppress the law return is to suppress uh, the state and the nation it, it rests on. Secondly, it's, um, it's, there's nothing wrong with this state wanting to be a refuge for Jews across the world. I will point out that Ireland and Greece have, and Germany have very similar laws. Nobody has suggested that uh, the British Army should, you know, strap up its boots and go over and kick the Irish out of Ireland in order to stop them having such a terrible law. Um, nobody has suggested that uh, Turkey should, you know, put its boots on, restore the Ottoman Empire and stop Greece having such a terrible law. Okay? Right. Okay. I've got two other things to cover, so I'm a bit over 25 minutes, so I hope Ruth will let me do this. Yep. Okay. The, um, right, the other thing that Graham, the immigration policy that um, uh, Graham Bash says has to be changed or otherwise the state should be destroyed is um, that the right of return is denied to the descendants of the Palestinian refugees of 1948. Now, this seems to have a lot more go for it, and certainly um, a socialist where um, 
uh, are we're for the freedom of movement. We we want we want to see um, borders reduced. We want to see borders that people can flow freely across. But this is not this isn't a demand for free movement. This is a demand right. It doesn't say it doesn't say all Palestinians should be able to go to Israel or all people. It says those who are descendants of refugees, which is you know. Um, a certain proportion in the West Bank, a certain proportion in Gaza, a certain proportion in Gaza. Those should uh, go back. Back, they should go to Israel. Um, so it's not about free movement. And it's, the other way it's not about free movement is we say, look, a Syrian refugee who wants to come in to live in France or Britain or Germany, that's fine. And what we're saying is if they want to come and live in a country which is mostly British, French, German, you know, the meaning of which changes over time, sometimes quite quickly over time, that is fine. This is not a matter of Palestinians who, want, who think, I'm sick of living with a lot of Arabs, I want to live with a lot of Jews instead. It's a matter, it's a demand for a collective repossession of the land. Essentially, it's a demand for the 1948 war to be fought again and another side to win. 1940, just the 1948 war is often misrepresented. You know, say, you know, Britain and the U.S. Uh, uh, helped uh, Israel drive out the Palestinians. That's not the case. Britain and the U.S. first uh, they set up. A, you know, Britain said, "Look, we can't cope with this anymore." They set up a joint inquiry with the Americans. This then recommended a. Uh, they said, "Well, uh, we should have a binational state." Um, and then they found there were there was a tiny minority of uh, Jews in what was then Palestine who supported it. The, the biggest organisation who supported it is said to have 97 <laughs> members. They got the American and the British governments to support them. They couldn't find a single Palestinian Arab who would support it. So uh, the um, the British and the American governments, the left Zionists who supported. And it was left Zionists who supported this option. The left Zionists who supported it. Uh, the uh, Trotskyists in the US, who had also supported the variant, said, look, uh, basically they said, look, this obviously isn't going to work. You have two nations here who are not yet ready to live in one state together, which is, you know, not unprecedented. Britain and France still aren't a single state. Britain and Ireland aren't a single state, and so on. You know, France and Germany aren't a single state. They're not willing. They each have to, they should each have their own area. We have to divide it up as equally as they can. And eventually, the United Nations passes a partition plan. Britain doesn't vote for it, by the way. It's very much in doubt whether the US will vote for it. Eventually, it does. The, the one great power that is solid in support for it is the USSR, oddly. It gets voted through. Um, this is supposed to be a plan that the United Nations or some power is going to organise, you know, sort of help. Some big power is going to intervene and, you know, sort out these two states. Okay, Britain is not willing to do this. So, from the UN vote, the country descends into civil, civil war between the Jewish militias and militias sent from the Arab states, uh, commanded from Syria, Iraqi Syrian volunteers, who 
were sent in to invade the country. Then the war escalates further with the invasion of the Arab states in May 1948. And there's a war. Um, and what happens in this war is um, all the Jews are expelled or killed in the areas conquered by the Arab forces, all of them. Um, uh, you know, sometimes with, uh, some of them with very big massacres. Um, some of the, the majority of the Arabs flee or are expelled from the area which comes under the control of the Jewish forces. Atrocities are committed on both sides. More atrocities are committed on the Jewish side simply because they win the war. They conquer more territory. The 1948 war in reverse is not a solution. To think the 1948 war in reverse with another side winning is a solution, firstly, is, is, is unrealistic, and secondly, it is not the politics of trying to unite peoples, unite workers across um, community lines or national lines for socialism. It's the politics of hopeless cycles of revenge. So, that's what I think is wrong with that. What do we have to do now? The first thing we have to do is educate. When this, um, that's why I come back to the beginning. It's the fact that it's gone on for some years now that we've found it very difficult to get other people on the left to debate us on this. It wasn't so difficult in the 1980s. You read that pamphlet. There are a lot of people you know, using our paper to denounce us, and that's fine. The first thing to do is to get that debate and not to allow that debate to be smothered by the argument that if you talk about this, then uh, all you're doing is taking part in a plot designed to do down Jeremy Corbyn or to uh, help the Israeli embassy. Obviously, I can't hope to cover it. What I'm going to do in summing up is um, to come back on Michael's points, because it seems to me these are the most difficult and thorny. And I'm going to answer Michael's question, why are we talking about this, the, the right of return and so on, in this context. Right. Okay, in 1940, there's no question uh, there was ethnic cleansing in what became Israel. There was also ethnic cleansing in what became the West Bank and Gaza. So, you know, Jerusalem was a majority Jewish city in 1900. The Jews were driven out of the old city of Jerusalem. They were driven out. Um, there, and the Arab army... Right, there were more Palestinians driven out because the Israelis won the war. If they had lost the war, they would have been driven into the sea. That was the, pro the programme of the armies who were fighting them. The Jews in Israel would have been driven. The Jews in the refugee camps in uh, no, refugee detention camps in Cyprus and in Europe would have been still in the camps. The Jews who were, subject, who were being driven out of the Arab countries, who knows where they would have gone. Okay. 
Right. So this is... Right. It is, uh, it is not by wish, it's not by the free wish of the um, Jewish community in Israel that the problem of the partition of Palestine was resolved by a war. Um, that wasn't their wish. The United Nations voted for a partition on the presumption that you know, some big power was going to organise it. And Britain said, no, we wash our hands of it. Um, so, and Britain washed out their hands of it, and a war was started by the Arab states sending a volunteer militia into Palestine to start a war. And uh, the war then escalated through the invasion of the Arab states. And uh, the the Jewish, Jewish community had very, had, didn't, uh, obviously there were crimes committed by the Jewish forces in the war, which were, I think pretty much all of which were denounced by other factions in the Jewish community at the time, publicly. Um, there was no such, uh, I should say there was no such denunciation on the other side. There were, but there were crimes. Okay, it was a, right. So you have a war. There were similar movements of population happening elsewhere, much bigger. So 13 or 14 million Germans were being driven out of Poland, Czechoslovakia, and so on. Uh, a larger numbers of people were moving across the borders between India and Pakistan. Vast numbers of people died in these. Vast number, more than the number of Palestinian refugees. Um, one and a half million Poles were being driven out of Ukraine by the Stalinists who conquered it. Um, completing the, clean, the cleansing of Western Ukraine of Poles, which Stalin had started in 1939. Now, I'm old enough, I can remember um, in my earlier years you would still get people getting up in meetings and say, Germany has to reclaim its lost lands to the east. They were bothered about the fact that areas which had been German for hundreds of years were now part of Poland, or in the case of Königsberg, were part of Russia. And in case of it still is. And uh, what we said to them, no, it's, it's absolutely fine, these Germans were thrown out. This is, you know, it's not a problem. No, nothing bad was done. We said, this is only possible by a war which will just reverse the injustice. Um, that agitation died away because, basically, because Germany, although the German, Germany was a lot, what was war wrecked in 1945 in the way that the Arab states were not in 1948. Uh, there was no UN refugee stuff or anything, but they were eventually integrated. So now, Poland and Germany are both part of the EU. You know, anybody can move, you know, anybody can move either way. But that is because that demand for the German right of return has been given up. Because nobody agitates anymore to reclaim those lands. Germans still can't uh, go freely to Königsberg. They can't move freely to live there. Um, but that, you know, what's the answer to that? It, it, that becomes possible because the right of return has been given up. Right. 
No, it was exclusively a right-wing demand, this reclaiming the, the lost German lands. Though, if you think about it, it was a lot more realistic and Nazi less Nazi unjust, Nazi uh, less Nazi. unjust than the equivalent demand in the case of uh, Israel, which is not, uh, you know, there would still be a Poland, there would still be a Russia. The demand, and Michael said, it, there would no longer be an Israeli Jewish state. Um, so, Mike starts off by saying he's for the right of Israeli Jews to self-determination, then later he seeks to take this away again. And so it is a demand, the collective repossession of that territory is a demand, and you know, many of the advocates are quite clear about it, for the uh, extinction of the self-determination of the Israeli Jewish nation. And, probably of that nation as a whole, since this is not a nation which is going to su submit easily. It's, it's going to be a very bloody war. So, and why is that relevant today? Because, as I said, the, um, the people we're arguing against, who are the sort of defence squad for the old-fashioned anti-Semites, um, they, they no longer say on the whole, right, you've got to destroy Israel. Um, Jerry does, but on the whole they don't. What they say is Israel can exist as long as it accepts conditions A, B and C, which we know it's not going to. Since it doesn't, basically anything is fair game. And since it doesn't, all those who uh, defend the right of Israel to exist, to some degree or another, are Zionists, and they are to be, uh, you know, shunned, censored and so on. That is the connection. So um, I will leave it at that because of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Workers' Liberty hold ideas of freedom every year. If you would like to find out more about left anti-Semitism, then you can go to www.workersliberty.org forward slash pamphlets where you can buy left anti-semitism what it is and how to fight it featuring articles by daniel randall sean matmahuna Moshe plastone dale street leon trotsky camilla bassey and martin thomas